It's Throwback Thursday. Hey, everybody. Producer Chris Fafali is here. It's Throwback Thursday again, and this time we're throwing it all the way back to August 31st of 2020. It was our 14th episode, and for frame of reference, we're about to release episode number 105. Wow. Matt Skiba was our guest, and we had him on to discuss the Alkaline Trio song Radio, taken from their album from the year 2000, Maybe I'll Catch Fire. It's funny, when I open up these sessions from these old episodes, I can't believe how far we've come as a show. First of all, when we originally released this one, there were barely any edits at all. I mean, for some reason, I didn't even put the song clips in. I have no idea what's up with that. I also noticed how far Chris has come as a host, which you might notice too. He didn't get nearly as into the little details of the song as he does now. It was a little bit looser of a conversation, but it was still a great episode. And of course, I wouldn't release the Throwback Thursday episode without adding a little spice to it. Oh, That was supposed to be my Italian accent. SNL, call me. But anyway, I added in all the song references and made some edits here and there to make it flow a little nicer. But have no fear. All the great content of the conversation is still there. I hope you all enjoy this one, whether you're hearing it again or for the first time. Ladies and gentlemen, episode number 14 from August 31st, 2020. Matt Skiba discusses Alkaline Trio's radio. Oh! Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Matt Skiba, guitarist and vocalist for Blink-182 and Alkaline Trio. I've known Matt uh, for, for many moons. Uh, what a wonderful human being and uh, such, such a talent amazing songwriter uh, and lyricist absolutely love matt uh he picked the uh, alkaline trio classic radio to discuss today and uh, uh man this was a fun one to talk about a lot of, a lot of things about this song i had no idea about matt talked about how he wrote radio very quickly while in the studio during the recording of maybe i'll catch fire uh, he said the lyrics and the music were written all at once like uh, as if it was something that was gifted to him uh you know i mentioned uh to him that the song is almost five minutes long but uh, it doesn't feel that way at all just kind of takes you on this ride uh, the first line of the song, I could have never pulled this off with the conviction that Matt did. Uh, the first line of the song is shaking like a dog shitting razor blades. And uh, I had no idea what that meant. And Matt told me that that's a uh, Vietnam War reference, basically, uh, for shell shock. And I had also mentioned this is a very mature song for it being on Alkaline Trio's uh, second record. Uh, Matt didn't think that his lyrics would affect people uh, the way that they did. And... Uh, Boy, was he wrong. Uh, like I said at the top, he, he's written some, some amazing lyrics that really, uh, really touch people. Uh, Matt writes songs knowing which project that it's for. Uh, you know, I had asked him, uh, you know, when you write a song, do you, do you know if it's for Blink or Alkaline or for your solo stuff? And he said he, he always has, a, has an idea of, of what it's going to be for. And uh, he mentions the power of simplicity, that you can write something timeless with three chords and a melody. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Radio wasn't a song we had written for Maybe I'll Catch Fire. And it felt like, you know, we needed some dynamic in the record. So I just took an acoustic guitar outside in the back of the studio uh, in Chicago at Matt Allison's place and, and just started tinkering around with the that part and wrote the song in maybe like 15 minutes. Wow. And we went back inside and recorded it and was, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's good, maybe it's not, whatever. Uh, and then it turned out to be everybody's favorite song. Well, and it's amazing, too, because, of, of course, I'm familiar with the song. I've heard it a number of times over the years. But, uh, you know, when when a guest picks a song, I start to really analyze it and critique it. I pick up the guitar. I want to learn the arrangement. And I mean, and, and don't take this the wrong way, what a simplistic idea. But my God, it just... Uh, has such feeling and such emotion. I mean, and, and that's that's classic Alkaline Trio. The lyrics are what really uh, you guys are known for, you're known for. And, uh, you know, this song is is four minutes and 41 seconds, but the beauty of it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that to me. 
it, okay. it feels like it feels like a shorter song because four minutes and 41 seconds that could be uh you know a little little labor intensive uh some songs that long but this one doesn't does, doesn't feel yeah like four minutes and 41 seconds is a long time if you're getting your toenails pulled or like <laughs> but uh well that's i i i don't think there's a wrong way not a wrong way i could take that because i think at least for me the simplest uh, way to get there as far as it being a good song and something that one at least listener can apply to their own lives or a situation they're going through uh and the you know as the crow flies or just the easiest way to get there i think is the best well yeah and i didn't mean so much simplistic from a stamp lyrically there's a lot here to swallow and digest and, and of course we'll get into that i meant more from a standpoint of just chordal arrangement yeah that's I mean, what i'm talking about the stuff that i'm sure you know, you're you're uh, a lot more musically proficient than I am, especially with guitar. But, you know, I grew up writing. Um, I was never really a metal kid, so I can't wail. And I, I dug a lot of it. 1984 was my first record. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff I was a fan of, but I never learned it. The music I learned was like DI and Misfits and real simple stuff. So, you know, it wasn't there. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of choices there, but it's for some reason it worked. And oddly enough, when we're on tour, people can't figure out where you could figure it out. No problem. But a lot of people can't figure out what where the, the notes are for some reason. Yeah, well, because it has it does have this what I call a little trick in there. And you got to know what I think. I, I, I took it took me a second to figure out the riff. <laughs> so I, I do. I do know what you mean about that. Now, you, you went on the back porch and, uh, you know, for the listeners, I'll just tell you, Matt Allison were, were the uh, Alkaline Trio to this record. Uh, Matt owns Atlas Studios in Chicago, where Less Than Jake tracked our GNV FLA record in 2008. Matt's uh, an amazing, uh, amazing person, amazing producer. So you go back out of, of Matt's place. And uh, 15 minutes, you said you wrote this thing. Now, you wrote it like music wise, um, or did you, were you starting to already formulate lyrics, or, or were the lyrics like somewhere in a journal or something? Do you no, remember? it was all. Um, I, I started playing it and I had to go back inside and grab a pencil and a pen. Or a pencil. I'm going to get a beer and something to drink. Um, I had to grab a pencil <laughs> and a notepad and wrote the. I mean, it was all written right there lyrics, music, everything, front to finish. So it just kind of came out of you. Yeah. And as a songwriter, I'm sure you can relate. There's just the, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it's a great feeling when it feels like it's something that was just gifted to you. Sure. You know, yeah. Like that and was one of those songs where it felt like somebody else just, here you go. That is so cool. When now you, you, you get done, you're outside, you bring the acoustic back in and you go, I got something. And do you remember the reaction from, from the guys and Matt, Allison, the producer, when you, when you showed it to him? I, I do. Yeah. Um, they couldn't believe me that they didn't believe me that I just went out there and wrote that. <laughs> they were like, you just wrote that right. You just walked outside. I was like, I know it's, it's simple. Like I thought I was going to, you know, get laughed at or whatever. I'm like, I just did it quick. I don't know. I just thought whatever they're like, no, dude, it's incredible. What are you talking about? It really is. And that, that again, when I, and I used the word simplistic earlier, it's so catchy though. I mean, you know, if you just look at this song and I broke it down, the intro alone, just that guitar arpeggiated part is 34 seconds yes. long. to get into lyric number one <laughs> because <laughs> lyric number one of this song like there's no way and as this all goes back and i and i've talked about this on the show before the conviction and the heart and where you're coming from as a songwriter and as a singer that that dictates everything sometimes and in the case of this line if i sang this line in a less than jake song i don't know if i could have got through it with a straight face or or it would have come across with any type of conviction shaking like a dog shitting razor blades waking up next to nothing after dreaming of you and me i'm waking up all alone waking up so Plans for revenge. Red 
first line of the song is shaking like a dog shitting razor blades. Yeah. So, so, so set, set that up. Cause I'm, I'm reading this song and I almost feel like this could be construed as a love song, but maybe not. So set that line up and set maybe the, the, the first verse here up of, of where your head was at lyrically. So my, both of my parents are Vietnam veterans and, um, my, one of my dear friends, David Dunham, a buddy of mine uh, from Chicago, we were talking about, uh, we were out at his dad's place um, on the East Coast years years ago, and his dad was telling us, you know, some Vietnam stories, just, just you know, kind of lighthearted buddy, his stuff with his buddies, or telling, talking about friends of his and stuff like that. And he was talking about them getting pinned down during an ambush. And he said, you know, they were getting fired upon and they thought that, you know, that was it. These got the, the, the vehicle were closing in. And he said we were shaking like a dog shooting razor blades, which was a term that soldiers used for shell shock, which is the old word for PTSD. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. So it's, it, it, you know, it, it cut touching close to home for my folks being there and his father, you know, my dear friend's father, who I became close with, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it sounds silly, but it's the opposite. Um, you know, it's actually something quite serious. So for me, you know, it's, I I don't, I don't even think of it as the like literal dogs, you know, I think of Dave's dad in a trench or wherever they were. Right. And I, I didn't take it as, as literal, like a dog shit and razor blades, but I just thought that lyric is so descriptive. Yeah. And the way you're explaining it, it is fascinating. And just looking through the lyrics here, again, a lot of your songs deal, you know, with, and that's the thing I do love about your lyrics too, is they're they're They can be very ambiguous at times. And, and that's the, the beauty of music and, and lyrics. You can find your own meaning through it, but you know, this almost, like I said, could appear to be a love song at points. And the inspiration behind this is fascinating fascinating yeah it, i mean it really is a um i guess a love song in, in a sense um but i i wanted to there was obvious there was a girl involved there's always a girl whether it's current or made up or whatever usually with you know there has for me anyway there has to be some sort of muse um which doesn't have to be a, a girl it could be a car or a cigarette or whatever it is but you have to be writing about something at least in in my for for my own you know, songwriting. So the thought of that line and the thought of Dave's dad, for whatever reason, it just came to me at that moment, or I'd, I'd recalled it at that moment, and it played to or spoke to um, something that I was, you know, a relationship issue I was having at the time, or, or a breakup, or whatever it was. Honestly, I I can't remember specifically who who the who, the who was, but it is a love song. Um, I just kind of stole that, that line from Dave's dad. Gotcha. And you know, this song to me really, I mean, and it was only your second record. Usually you don't hear of a band being the, the, the four letter word, the mature word until later in their, in their works. But this song was to me, it was kind of like the writing on the wall of kind of where you were going to go later in your career. This was a very grown up song for, I, I feel you guys to write. Did you feel that way when you, when you penned it? No, I, I, um, honestly, uh, at that time it was our second record, but we were, we were still pretty brand new. And so I, I had a lot of uncertainty about what, you know, it's sort of like, um, if you're self-conscious about your, uh, appearance, like what, what do you look like to other people? And same thing with songs for me, at least initially, it's like, I, I thought I was going to go in there and get laughed out of the place. So, you know, collectively everybody loved it and we recorded it, but I still wasn't sure. So at the time I didn't think that, but looking back on it and what a little shithead I was when I wrote that, <laughs> it is very sure that, that I, uh, you know, could verbalize those feelings and, and make them, uh, you know, poetic in, in a sense. And no, I mean, it, I don't know. That's the only word I could really think of was it maybe not mature, but it just seems grown up for you on your second record to come forward. This song, it's a, you know, you kind of put your vulnerable side out there, at least to me as a songwriter, this is nothing that I could have written on my second record anywhere close of something of this. And I mean that with my heart, man, that's, this yeah, is like, no, I, I appreciate it. And in terms of like how you just put it, you know, it's uh, it absolutely, was a mature song, you know, like, um, 
for a second. I just never really thought of it that way. Well, no, when I, and I remember hearing it. And of course, at the time, you know, you guys are from Chicago and, and a lot of bands I love from that area, you know, but when I put the song back on uh, today and I, and I listened to it a bunch this morning and I, I just, I harked back to that time period and I just want to throw a couple bands out there and, and, and just see, I mean, I hear a little smoking popes, of course. Um, of course, Chicago, amazing band. I hear a little braid, a little get up kids and a little promise ring in here. And it was during that time where a lot of bands were doing what was what was then labeled as emo. But this still is undeniably alkaline trio. It sounds like you were any of those bands. I mean, I know the popes were, but were any of those bands on, on your radar when you were when you wrote this particular song or a song like it? They were, but not they weren't as influential to us as the popes were and right. still are. Sure. Um, you know, they, they, uh, like radio is a perfect example. Like, you know, a lot of the, the, the Pope's write Josh writes the most incredible lyrics, you know, he's writing about his, his relationship with Jesus. And it sounds like you don't necessarily, you know, I, I certainly can't, can't relate to that. I, I admire, I admire and respect that. But, uh, until he tells me that I assume it's about a girl, you know, or I could see, whoever I'm with or just broke had just gone through something with, you know, it's just um, as specific and odd as his lyrics are. It's just that, you know, apart from just delivery and the style, it, his choice of metaphor or, you know, songs like Sandra. I want you to open me up. I want you to sing for me. some of the old Pope songs that the lyrics are so awkward, but so perfect. And that was something that, you know, Josh definitely inspired me to, to take those chances and to, I guess, write things that make you feel weird. Sure. I can definitely hear it in, in this track. And, and the reason I brought up that, that time period is because, you know, we were all, you know, trying to find our footing. Everyone, you know, we were, we were writing records and you guys were a young band and I can definitely hear those influences. But again, it, it is undeniably Alkaline Trio. It's not like it's a ripoff of any of those bands. I only brought them up as a, as a reference point. The other bands, I mean, Braid, Promise Ring, uh, Get Up Kids, those were all, and they still are, our, our homies. You know, those guys are awesome. Yeah. And their bands, you know, Promise Ring, it was so cool. Chicago, um, one thing I really love, I'm, I'm a proud Chicagoan, and the scene there was not competitive. Nobody was trying to, to outdo each other. And when, like, when I moved to the Bay Area, uh, it seemed like everybody was in a race, and everybody kind of secretly didn't like each other, and it was... Um, you know, I'm, I lived in Oakland for a couple of years and, you know, it's a, it's a rad scene, Gilman Street and all of it. But Chicago, we had a real community. Chicago is the only town that I've ever been to. I say town city, a major. Uh, I call it a town too. Yeah. Just the, all the bands like, oh, this guy was in Tuesday, but he also played in the Broadways. And this guy was in Slapstick. Oh, yeah, right. and he played in Alkaline. And, and, you know, this guy played in 88 Fingers Louie. Now he's in Rise Against. And everyone, there was no like, like you said, like shit talking going on. It was always uh, a, a greater sense of community there than, than anywhere else I ever felt, which what what do you what do you attribute to that you know chicago is uh a working class city i think the rock star thing doesn't really fly there um you know classist like or any sort of like hierarchy doesn't exist there uh and i think it all stems from just like the blue collar blood of the city that nobody's better than each other Interesting. Getting back to the song, the f now you know the intro is thirty four seconds, and then the verse starts, which is just a continuation of the intro. The drums drop in, the bass drops in, and we're at almost another forty five seconds here with <laughs> with a lot of lyrics. And again, you're, there's really no pre chorus. After that ends, it comes back to a re the re intro, and then it goes to verse two, which is as long as the first verse. Yeah. 
And then out of nowhere, boom. It's what I guess you would call the chorus, but it doesn't feel like a chorus, but it's just the big guitars come in. I've got a big fat fucking bone to pick with you, my darling. In case you haven't heard, I'm sick and tired of trying. I wish you would take my radio to bathe with you, plugged in and ready to fall. Um, yeah. That's brutal. And like I said, is term- in terms of a love song, that's why I was thinking that, okay. I remember what it was about now. <laughs> <laughs> I about that line. I'm like, oh, right. Um, <laughs> does it really go two rounds of the verses before it hits a chorus? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. So never, you're I, so you're you're looking at it like a minute in in 50 seconds before it hits a chorus, which you, wow. you know, that's almost time for another song. But again, it it's it's it's, it's testament to how cool this thing flows because it's four it's a almost a five minute track. Um, but it doesn't feel like it. And and that's my next question. Do you remember did Matt Allison or any of the other guys, quote unquote, did anybody like produce this at some point? Or was this the exact idea you wrote on the porch? You brought it in and recorded, it? or was there ever like, hey, maybe this is too long or we should cut this part, or maybe we need a bridge in the song, or was this the arrangement? You know, we didn't even really think like that, Chris. Like we we just had ideas and wrote them as we you know, like that was it. We didn't even consider moving things around or, and it wasn't, it wasn't because we were precious about our ideas. It was just, it's just the way it was. We were, you know, inexperienced songwriters. We were just like cutting our teeth. So the rearranging and pre-court, we just didn't, hadn't even gotten there yet. But I could imagine though, like later on, like Agony and Irony or, or, or Crimson or something, if you guys were to take this song in, that it, it could have got probably chopped to shreds or fucked up by some producer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but because. And or by us. I mean, we. Or by you. We, yeah. Because you learned so much. Old songs and, and we're just like, what the. What were we smoking that made it seem like a good idea that this should be an eight minute intro or like, you know, we play some of those older songs, especially ones we haven't played in a while. It's like, dude, what were we not thinking? The sunrise fills your eyes. Hey, everybody. Don't go anywhere. We got lots more of this Throwback Thursday episode with Matt Skiba after a few words from our sponsors. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. And now, back to the show. So you go into what I guess would be, like I said, it's not like a traditional chorus. There's no hook that goes over and over again. Of course, that the, the this descriptive lyrics in this are just the imagery is amazing. You know, I wish you would take my radio to bathe with you plugged in and ready to fall. I mean, that that kind of kind of says it all. And after chorus one. Uh, it's what I wrote here in my notes is the re re intro. So there's now, there's now a third intro that happens just like the first and second time. And then verse three comes in.
verse three is exactly like verse number one, except for the last line. After you say, um, if Columbus was wrong, I'd drive straight off the edge. I'm seeing red. In the first verse, you repeat, I drive straight off the edge. So you pretty much use the whole first verse again, but just stuck tag that line at the end. Do you remember why you wanted to get that descriptor in there or why you changed that one line? Uh, I think that was something that happened, you know, in the vocal booth when we were when we were tracking the song. In fact, I know it was because I was, you know, the 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 third verse, one of the reread when it repeats its when it repeats itself, you know, I'm singing it an octave higher and you know, that's obviously the song's gotten bigger by that point. So I just thought, you know, if it does the same thing again, it's really going to sound like, you know, back then it's like third verse, same as the first, but I, I always felt like it was cheating if I didn't change a tag or a phrasing or something, but that was, that was my, um, Oh man, I can, uh, I can relate to that. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of times where you couldn't think of another verse, but you needed one. You're like, okay, we're just going to use the first one. And I was always like, we got to change at least one line or one word. (laughs) It was that. Yeah. And it was spur of the moment. Like, I'm just going to state the obvious because usually when you're hoping someone gets electrocuted in their bathtub, you're not, (laughs) you're not seeing pink, you know, you're not seeing purple or, you know, whatever green. It's like, you're pissed. So, um, yeah, it just sort of, you know, fell out of my face. Well, you know, and, and, and now after verse three, we don't do any departure. It's, it just goes straight into chorus two. course go up the octave again you're you're screaming your heart out but again the chorus never it doesn't double it's not like you hear it twice you just hear the chorus one more time and then the fourth outro happens which is the same as, as the other ones and you're just repeating re- the refrain plugged in and ready to fall song uh ends on what what i call the suspense chord it it, it, it doesn't resolve it ends on the a chord which i love i, lo- I love that especially for this tune because it kind of this is a song to me that uh you don't want it to end that makes sense yeah. it's like it kind of has to it kind of has to have that cliffhanger note of like wait <laughs> is it going to come back so when the song was done the record is, is is pressed it's ready to go do you remember the the initial reaction to to fans when they heard this and, and what what they thought like was it a quote unquote hit among the fans uh, right off the bat? Honestly, I don't remember. I think so, but but I, I you know I remember um, doing interviews and yeah, I, I think it was pretty immediate. I'm trying to like envision the show and people's reaction, but I think just from you know especially back then it was you know there was no internet, there was no you couldn't get uh, people's yeah. reaction across the globe, but it it was um, amongst our friends and you know fans which were kind of the same thing at that point everybody was pretty shocked and psyched at at the quality of the song which it like you said is as and i like the word simplistic you know i i think um if you can achieve something good or great or whatever in an easy way it's there's there's a magic to that this tune i mean i could hear some producer taking it and putting strings over it over the yeah. you know over the intro or the outro and uh, doing all kinds of crazy production and sounds and vocals and harmonies and overlays but that to me takes away from the and when i say simplistic it's more of a I, I don't know. I feel like it's personal when I put this song and I feel like, yeah, there's a band playing, there's bass and drums, but I feel like it's, it's a guitar player, singer, songwriter, you 
that's just singing to me like across the room. That's the okay. vibe. I That's the vibe I get from it. It's great. Yeah. Do you remember if you played the track um, on the Maybe I'll Catch Fire tour? We did. Yeah. Um, it was a weird time. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, I, I, everything is a bit of a blur anyway, over, you know, 20 something years, we've all been doing this. It's like certain things stick out. And with Maybe I'll Catch Fire, I don't know if I've ever told anyone this, but we were already having some serious problems with our drummer mm-hmm. uh, at the time. The guy that played on Maybe I'll Catch Fire, Glenn, who uh, was my, you know, we were inseparable for many years. And we just, you know, I'll leave it at that, that we were just, we were having some very serious personal difficulties. And um, that took up a lot of my uh, bandwidth, you know, as far as, as uh, understood is concerned. But I, I remember playing it live. I remember fucking it up a lot live because it's so <laughs> damn long and repetitive. And, you know, after you're on the road for three weeks, especially when it's like, a tour that I, they let me book, um, which is crazy to think about, but, um, (laughs) playing in living rooms or, you know, pizza places in the middle of nowhere or whatever. But I think I remember people were, I remember one of the first things that struck me was people singing along to the songs that we'd written. I couldn't believe it. Like people in Nebraska or, you know, wherever, um, one of the first tours, one you know, I have to say that Chris, you and your band uh, are such a huge reason that we're where we're at today. Um, the Less Than Jake All and Discount Alkaline Trio tour was our first big tour. That's the first time we played in front of, you know, in front of real audiences. Thanks to you guys. Well, thank you. And I, re- I remember it like yesterday. I remember the first show with you guys. It was at a place called Ziggy's in Winston Salem, North Carolina. And, uh, and I was stoked because I remember meeting you, uh, through Pete Anna, um, our old trombone player, um, who played in slapstick and who, you know, very well. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and Peter had, you know, been telling me, yeah, my, my friend, Matt, he's got this band together. And I remember, I know I told you this story. I remember seeing your, your band's name in print and, you know, bands in the nineties always kind of would come up with these wacky names. And, and I really thought you were the Alkaline trio at first. And, and, (laughs) <laughs> and Al Kaline, I'm from Detroit. He was a famous baseball player from the 50s and 60s uh, from, from Detroit. And then it's like, no, it's the Alkaline Trio. Oh, but yeah, you guys, uh, that was the first time I had ever seen your band that night at Ziggy's. And um, I don't know, you know, you guys were really new then. I don't know if you'd ever played to that many people. I think there was probably probably six or 700 people, 800 people there that night. I remember it very well. I, that's a show. I mean, I remember almost every moment on that tour. And to this day, I mean, we learned so much from you guys. I remember following your tour bus in our van to the hotel. You guys had day rooms, uh, which we didn't know what that meant at, at the time. <laughs> and you guys were so kind and gave us your day room. At the end of the night, you guys would shower and then give us the key to the room. And then we could all sleep in there which is something we still do because oh, you yeah. taught us how to do that. You know, <laughs> the kindnesses you, you, uh, th- that you guys paid to us really, you know, we learned a lot from touring with you guys that time. Well, thanks. And, you know, and it, and it was evident too, um, that, that there was something there. You can just tell it, you know, it, uh, at that point I, you know, we'd already been a band for five or six years and, and, uh, you know, I knew, I knew there was, I knew there was something special when, when I, when I saw you guys, it was like, okay, they're, they're, they're onto something here. And I mean, from that moment on, God damn it came out. And of course, maybe I'll catch fire. But, uh, you know, your your trajectory was, you know, especially from maybe I'll catch fire. You said, yeah, you know, you were booking your own tours, going and playing pizza places. But things started to happen, really happen for you guys around then. You know, you had mentioned a little bit ago about, you know, having people sing your words back to you. Did you ever think, especially, as, you know, a song like radio? I mean, these these lyrics, again, are you know, there, a lot of the scene we were coming out with, and it was a lot of pop punk and there was, you know, songs about girls and goofy stuff, but this is kind of a little, little next level here. Did, did you ever think your lyrics were going to hit people like, like they have? No, I didn't think the band would, you know, obviously we, we worked uh, really hard and we were, we just have surpassed any goals that we'd initially set for the band um, in every way. And we have you and your band and the fa- er- early fans. I mean, the people that 
supported us so early on um, and who identify, I mean, there was, we had a um, rocket from the crypt one who was, you know, another band that we, you know, stole a lot of ideas from um, or inspired a lot of our, our ideas. You know, they have the rocket bomb uh, symbol Mm -hmm. and for a long time, I, I don't know if they still do this, but I'm guessing not. Uh, you'd get into the show free if you had a rocket from the crypt tattoo. And, you know, all three of us all had our alkaline trio tattoos. We were a gang and all that. But we, we said the same thing. Like if you get an alkaline trio tattoo, you can get into the show for free. And I remember being playing in green Bay, Wisconsin. And this was maybe, you know, this was definitely, well, it wasn't definitely anything. It was, it was, it was early on. And I remember like half the kids had the tattoo. (laughs) And, we're talking like that we were opening for face to face. So it was like, there was like a thousand people. I remember Danny went to jail that night, Um, but that was the night we realized like, we can't do that because all of our fans have the tattoo, which is another (laughs) thing that just like them singing lyrics back people, you know, saying that you, you kept me from killing myself or you gave me hope when my wife or girlfriend left, I guess back then it was a girlfriend, but, those things is it never, you know, and kids always, as, as you know, like they always premise it with, I'm sure you hear this all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I, I do, I, I, you know, but it never gets old. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean less to me because I've heard somebody else say this. I, you know, I don't think you're making uh, it. It never, uh, it never loses its luster. I've had, any, no. I'm sure, I'm sure you've had fans come up and, it, and it's almost gut wrenching. They'll say, man, I, I know you hear this all the time, but you know, I, I almost killed myself after my dad died. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I, I, it emotionally affects me. Like I, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to say to you. Give me a hug. You know, yeah, that's what I do a hug. I go hug because there were times where I would start crying. Uh, um, yeah. You know, or same thing. It's like, you're, you're, there aren't really words. It's just hug the guy or the girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, something else I want to touch on, you know, you've, uh, outside of alkaline trio have, have done some, uh, a number of projects, um, Matt Skiba and the secrets, and you, you did the heavens, uh, project. When you write a song, uh, you sit down and, and, uh, you, you go back behind the studio, you write a tune. Are they always Matt Skiba songs that could go to any project, including, you know, now that you're writing and recording with Blink? Or do you in your mind when you write something, you go, ah, that's for the secrets or that's for Alkaline or that's for Blink? Or, are they set aside in, in, in that type of thinking or are they all just Matt Skiba songs that could go anywhere? They're not. I mean, the, the songs that I write at home, I mean, I, I try and write a song a day, at least just pick up a guitar and, you know, it, um, it, that's a loose term, I guess. It's like, I, I at least try and pick up the guitar and write every day is what I came to the real, it's like writing a whole song every day. It's like, you're just going to write a bunch of shit and occasionally write a good song. So I loosen the reins a little bit and I just try, try and play every day and, and, you know, nine out of 10 times I'll come up with something. Um, and those songs are usually for alkaline trio. Because with Blink, when I first started playing with them, when we first started writing the, the the first record, I was writing songs for Blink at home and bringing them to rehearsal or bringing them to the studio, and they just sound like Alkaline Trio. So with Blink, it was you know far more effective to write together, you know. And Travis and Mark are both incredible song songwriters. Travis has uh, something I didn't know until playing with him that how how great his musical mind is. I mean, the guy has ideas for guitar parts and vocal parts and, you know, all kinds of things. And um, so, and, you know, the the drums and the songs being built around drum parts a lot of the time uh, with Blink, we write everything in the studio. Uh, Trio, the, the last record we did, we wrote almost the entire thing in the studio. To me, that's a luxury. I mean, it's really fun. I like, I like writing on the spot and I think it, it, um, can you know at you, you get lucky and you get some of your best stuff but i think you know the next time we, re- we record i'm going to come in with some songs and you know dan is a lot more organized than i am and he usually has some great stuff demoed really well and i i use voice memo on my phone to record demos i do too <laughs> I want everybody to put their own you know i don't want to put a drum part on it and then that dictates you know it's sort of like I leave it as open as it can. It's partly out of laziness, but also out of 
you know, wanting the song to, to become an Alkaline Trio song. And as far as the secrets go, the, you know, yeah, the secrets, I write the song specifically for that because those records have come at a time when I have the time to do them, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. You know, in, in, in regards to, you know, what you said a moment ago, and it was, it was interesting and humbling. And you, you said, you know, when I write these songs and I brought them into Blink, they sound like Alkaline Trio songs. I like to write with the guys. And, and it's humbling in the sense that like, you know, that, that you're, the songs you're bringing in, maybe I don't want to say they sound too much like your other band or too much like you, but you know, you know that you're part of another band now you're part of, of doing Blink in listening to those songs. And I've heard both, both records you did. I don't really hear Alkaline Trio. You know, I mean, I, it's your voice. I know it's you, uh, but the, it's produced and the production's different than what Alkaline does. Um, and, and, and it really is, is set apart. And I think I think that's awesome. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why I wanted to ask you that, if you know, like, what song is, is for what project. And, and the, the way you explain that's interesting. I could see how why you would want to do that. Yeah, it's, it, you know, we all have our own um, styles. And, you know, I you know, I'll, I'll write on bass or I'll write on a keyboard or whatever to try and what, no matter what, who it's for. Um, and no matter what, it always comes out sounding the same. It's always the same kind of shapes and sounds and it wasn't discouraging. It's more flattering. And, and now we have a new, uh, initiative or, a you know, a, a new thing we have to put into, put into play to de-alkaline my ideas. <laughs> but it's, it's great fun. Those guys are awesome to be in the studio with. And it's a blast. It's it's also, you know, it keeps it interesting having these different bands that I play in that go about things so differently, but equally effectively. Yeah. And that's something I, I think that, you know, a lot of a lot of listeners don't realize is every band is its own unique animal. Every band. I mean, any band that I've ever talked to, like, like from business to recording to you do it that way. What you do? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah well, we do it. This, you do what? And then you look at each other like, are you crazy? Um, yeah. But but yeah, every every band is, is is its own animal. So, again, when I think of of Matt Skiba, just personally, and I've known you for years, you're a dear friend. But yeah. when I think of you, just the first thing that comes to mind for me is you're a lyricist. Before you're a songwriter, I just your your lyrics resonate. I mean, there's oh, a number of friends of mine over the year. I remember being, uh, you know, living in Tampa some years ago. I came to see you guys down at Janus Landing, and I was going there with some friends. And this this girl that used to cut my hair, she's just freaking out. I mean, she's like, "Are we gonna get to meet him?" And like, and it wasn't from a starstruck like he's my favorite rock star and I think he's cute. You know, it might have been some of that, but <laughs> it was more from she she just was so attracted to your lyrics your lyrics oh, touched okay. her just so like on such a, a next level and um and and she's just one example over the years of people you know and with that said where do you want to see yourself now 20 years removed from starting out and being a kid and being that young songwriter where do you want to see are there any goals you have and where, where do you want to see yourself going as a songwriter and a lyricist as a kid, I played, I had like my high school band. And even back then I played drums in all the, all the little bands we had back in, in, uh, my, back in Chicago, in the outskirts of Chicago. Uh, and I would write all the lyrics. I'd write all the songs, write all the lyrics, but I would play drums and we'd get other people, whoever my bandmates were to play their respective instruments. And I remember at one point writing this song and I thought to myself, I'm never going to write anything better than this. <laughs> and, and I listened to it, you know, like a year or two ago, and it's fucking awful. And <laughs> I want to put, put that practice. I, I can't really say where I want to be, but I don't want to look back and think that the stuff I'm writing now is awful. But I just always want to have, I always want to be progressing. I always want to get better at the craft of, of songwriting or writing lyrics. And not even from, you know, not learning bigger words, not, you know, whatever, but just um, even making it going back to the simplicity of it. Yeah, I, I, that's the worst part for me. Uh, the longer I do this, the, the I, I tend to forget how just a simple idea can just be the greatest thing. I mean, look at the Misfits, the Ramones. I mean, that music still speaks to me. Uh, you know, those records are timeless. And uh, it was three chords and a melody, you know. I, I got the new Strokes record recently, and I'm a huge Strokes fan. Uh, they, you know, they had a, a few records in there that that you know I didn't love, 
but Rick Rubin produced their new record. And something that I love about this guy, this pertains to what we're talking about. His, his main focus with every band he works with is getting them back to that simplicity, getting back Mm -hmm. to what made people fall in love with your band the first time he did it with Slayer. He did it with Neil Diamond. Yeah. He's done so many bands. Johnny Cash. Neil Diamond fan. I'd say that with, you know, 12 songs, the Rick Rubin record, Neil Diamond, 12 songs. Talk about uh, simple lyric, simple um, progressions and just heart wrenching. There's a song called Oh Mary that you have to listen to. Oh Mary, can you hear my song? Does it make a mournful sound? I sang it once when first I saw you And I sing it to you now And that's something I knew about him years ago and I I know Rick a lit like we're friendly acquaintances or whatever but you know I'm a fan so I'm always kind of reading about him and the projects he's working on and you know he just really encourages people to go back to that thing and uh so i think you know i always want to have you know that north star that that um you know brings you back to why you're doing this and why people love what you do and that's hard to do and i've had this conversation with other people the only, way, the only way i can explain it is it's like you know every time uh, someone comes over to your mom's house she still has that picture you drew when you were five years old isn't that cute what matt did isn't that cute and you're like mom you know <laughs> it's like you know i don't want to go back to my first record and write like that well there's something special there there was something innocent there was something guttural there was something that the fans just love because it was primitive you didn't overcook and over think the idea like you said about producers it's like you know sometimes uh i think more more times than not i mean you guys have worked i didn't know you guys worked with matt allison that's really cool oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah you guys recorded at atlas at atlas yeah in 2008 we did a record that was uh was awesome we we decided to go to chicago in the heart of the winter we pulled up in february oh. it was <laughs> but we had the we had we had the time of our lives it was uh was awesome yeah, Chicago's it's brutal in the winter. I guess I, I equate it with me when I was bike messengering there and started in the winter. But, uh, you know, even just like walking down the street, I haven't been there in the dead of winter in a long time. Yeah. Um, and even when, when we were living in Chicago, we would tour so that we would miss the winters because it's like, <laughs> you know, on a, on, a, on a good day, it's 20 below. It's gnarly. Yeah, I know. So, um, well, hey, we're going to wrap up here. Is, oh, yeah. um is there anything that uh, you'd like to leave the listeners with? Anything uh, Matt Skiba or any of your bands uh, related? Uh, I would like to say thank you to all the fans out there, everybody that you know that's kept us more than afloat, that's kept us propelling all this time. Uh, especially your friend, who was really excited to meet the lyricist guy, <laughs> and, um, not the band guy. Hi, Kate. Uh, is it Kate? <laughs> Yep, that's Kate. <laughs> hey, thank you, Kate. Much love, darling, and and I love that story. So, thank you, Kate, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. And and most importantly, Chris, thank you for having me and for taking us on tour way back when. I I'm not sure we would be talking right now if it, if it weren't for you. Well, that that uh, that means a lot, man, and I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm I'm so happy you you carved out some time for uh, to, for me to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that Throwback Thursday episode. Don't forget, we have a huge back catalog of episodes for you to check out with so many awesome guests talking about so many amazing songs. And the good thing about our episodes is that they're evergreen. The story behind the creation of the song doesn't change, so an episode from years ago is still just as good and relevant today. Also, if you're enjoying Krista Makes a Podcast and you want even more Go to kristamakes.com and join our supporting cast. You'll get a bonus episode of our other podcast called The After Party every week, and you'll instantly get access to the entire back catalog of that, and you'll help us continue making the show. We'd love to keep making the show, and we rely on your support to make that happen. So yeah, go to kristamakes.com for all the info on that. And thanks again for listening. We'll be back Monday with a new episode that I know you're going to love.
Hey everybody, Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay. But you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing! I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2Z. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.